2 Samuel chapter number 21. We've got the devil confused. We've got me a little confused tonight too, amen, but that's all right. That's not too surprising, amen. 2 Samuel chapter number 21. 2 Samuel chapter number 21 tonight, and I'd like to be reading in verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter number 21, uh, verse number 1, and I want us to look at Really, I think one of the, the overlooked heroes in the Word of God, I think she is oft ignored and dismissed, uh, but I think more than anything, she gives us a good, honest look at the power of motherhood in our lives. Second Samuel chapter 21, verse number 1, the Bible says, Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It's for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul nor of his house. Neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us. We will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armani and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Mehalothite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. It was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son. They gathered the bones of them that were hanged, and the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin and Zelah in the sepulcher of Kish his father. They performed all that the king commanded, and after that, God was entreated for the land. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be in this place. Lord, help us through the word of God this evening. May we have our heart and attention focused on it. And Lord, may there not be any barriers in our heart to the working of the Holy Spirit. May we be completely open, completely surrendered and submitted uh, to the power of your word tonight, that you might receive glory through our obedience and through the transformation of our lives, we'll be sure to thank you for what takes place. Lord, we love you. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. We made comment this morning that it was my desire and still is to preach a Mother's Day sermon. I, you know, I suppose when I first started pastoring, I hated preaching on Mother's Day. And uh, most preachers would tell you that's the case because you don't like to feel like you're bound up in where you're going in the Word of God. 
but I found that throughout the years, God has used these days, we'd call them holidays if that's what they are, but these days of honor, uh, to minister into folks' hearts. And so I guess I've become a little less cantankerous uh, about it. And, and I, I very often, when we've got a day like Mother's Day, Father's Day coming up, I, I'll say this to the Lord. Now, Lord, if I've got to, I'll preach on it. <laughs> and very often, I've got to. And so he... Uh, he gave me this message. I began to think about mothers in the Word of God. and You know, we have a very glamorized perspective of motherhood. Uh, we have a perspective of it that is highlighted in all the social media circles and the high spots and the bright spots of it. One of the things I love about the Word of God is the Word of God gives us an unmitigated and unadulterated look at life. Shows us not just the glorious things, but the gross things. <laughs> not just the blessed things, but the bad things, right? Uh, not just the things that are wonderful, but the things that are difficult. And I think of all the women in the Word of God, and particularly of all of the mothers in the Word of God, this woman by the name of Rizpah might give us a more accurate portrayal of the ministry of a mother's heart than any other woman in the Word of God. What she does in this passage is motivated purely out of the love that she has for her two sons and for these other boys. We'll say a word about that here in a moment. And she goes out, and it's a shocking passage, but it's a stirring passage. These boys are taken, and because of uh, the sins of their father, and of course five of them, two of them were the sons of Saul, and, and five of them were the grandsons of Saul, but because of the sins of their ancestor, they are condemned, they are put to death, they are hanged out into the open, and left there to hang, to rot, to be a spectacle, to be a display for all of society, until the Lord blesses with rain upon the land. And here's what this woman decides. She says, I can't keep my kids from going through it, but I can go through it with them. And she goes and spreads a sackcloth upon a rock and camps out for we don't know exactly how long, months certainly. And she lays out there exposed to the elements, exposed to the harshness of the environment for months, day and night, driving away the scavengers and keeping a vigil over the bodies of her sons. I don't know everything that we could say about it, but I will make this statement. If that's not love, I don't know what love looks like. If she'd be willing to do that for her sons, then surely that tells us something about the way this mama loved her boys. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, preacher, that's good and everything, but what could that ever have to do with me? But when I read this passage, I find a parallel between the ministry that she undertook and in fact, the ministry of mothers even today. You see, she is keeping vigil over her physically dead son. She is praying for God to show mercy upon herself. She undoubtedly is asking for God to uh, work in this situation in such a way that her son's bodies are able to be removed and, and took down. And she is showing a public contrition and brokenheartedness over this situation for her physically dead son. Can I remind you, every person in this world that's born is born into sin. And the first and preeminent and primary ministry of motherhood is that of praying for her unsaved children. She's doing this for those that are physically dead. But I think in it we find a parallel for those mothers whose hearts are broken over their children who are spiritually dead because they don't know Christ as their Savior. I want you to notice four simple thoughts with me tonight and then we'll... Uh, pray and we'll go to the house. Number one, I want you to look at this passage and think with me about how burdened a mother's heart is. The overarching theme of this is this is a woman that is troubled. 
at the turn of events. I tell you this, and I've witnessed it both as a father experiencing parenthood, but also I've witnessed it in my wife and, and her ministry as a mother to our children. Hey, there's glorious days, there's gracious days, there's wonderful days. And man, there are some rough days too. I, I, I've often told people when they've asked me, you know, what's it like having children and, and what is that experience? And this is what I've told them. Having children, life begins to be painted in bolder strokes and more daring colors. It's not that life really is different, but it's that everything gets turned up to 11 and the stakes get a lot higher. And so the happy days are gloriously happy, but the hard days are grievously hard. And in this woman's experience, we find her to be the epitome of this. And we see in her the ugly side of loving another person with every fiber of your being. Hers was a burdened existence. And I will tell you this, that motherhood comes with its blessings. No one would doubt. But sure enough, don't ever forget it. And listen, I say this to every child in here, everybody that was born with a mother, and that's every one of you, don't ever forget what a burden it was, the love that your mother cared for you. Hey, listen, it's not easy on them. Notice the burden that she had. Number one, she's burdened over her children's damnation. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Bible says in verse 8 that the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armani, and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the, the Meholothite. I'll say that a hundred different ways tonight. Uh, that took both of them and delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest. You know what this woman had to watch? She had to watch her children condemned for the sins of another person. You know, every mother has to look at the effects of sin on the life of her children and consider the fact that her child was born into this existence, but by nature of being born into it, uh, by virtue of being born into the brokenness of the human family, every child, and I'm of the personal belief, I don't believe kids are saved before they get saved, but I believe they're safe. I believe that God, in His grace and mercy, somehow there's a covering made. But it don't change the fact that when you have that little baby boy, you know that a, a, a life has been birthed into this world. A soul has been brought into existence at the moment of conception. And all of a sudden, you realize the great and weighty responsibility that is on your shoulders. If you had a believing mother that knew the Lord and loved the Lord, don't you mistake yourself for one moment. She spent many a night praying over your condemned soul. Praying for you to get born again. Praying for you to come to know Christ. She's burdened over her children's damnation. Number two, she is burdened over her children's death. She has to watch both of these boys be executed and put to death. Living with the reality that they are now separated forever in this life. I think for me one of the most terrifying experiences of parenthood is recognizing and understanding that this child, if I don't do my duty in trying to reach them with the gospel, if I don't do what I can in trying to bridge something in their mind and heart about understanding, uh, just realizing, hey, listen, I've got them for this life, but I hope I've got them for eternity too. It's going to be up to me to try to be a witness to them and to try to reach them. Uh, she was burdened because she had to watch her children partake and taste of physical death. But listen, a mother's heart's burdened because it has to experience watching her children partake in spiritual death and possibly for eternity if something does not change. Not only was she burdened over her children's damnation and their death, but she no doubt was burdened over her children's decomposition. You say, preacher, what do you mean? I don't want to get too graphic. But you understand these bodies hung in the open sun 
for day after day, week after week, month after month. And she had to watch the effects of sin's curse take their toll on their body. She had to watch them degrade. What a horrifying experience that would be for any mother. But she has to experience, I would say it this way, the forces of a sin-cursed world were taking their toll on the bodies of these precious children. They're grown men by now, undoubtedly, but hey, listen, they may be grown, but they don't ever quit being your baby. And she's having to watch as this ghastly scene unfolds. I'll tell you why a lot of mothers' hearts are burdened, because they have to watch the effects of this sin-cursed world take its toll on their children likewise. They watch them get out into sin. They watch them get out into wickedness. They watch their lives as they are touched and, and, and formed and shaped and corrupted by this world's wickedness and iniquity. And listen, I understand this. That you, may, you may come to an age that you get grown, move out of the house, do your own thing, have your own life, but your mama don't ever quit wondering where you're at at 10 o'clock at night. She's always going to worry. She's always going to wonder what's going on in your life. What is happening if you're making good choices, if you're doing the right thing. But then I thought about a fourth thing. She's burdened over her children's damnation and death and decomposition. But undoubtedly, she was burdened over her children's disgrace. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, to you and I, it may not be that significant of a thing that they took these children and hanged them and left them hanging in a tree. But at this time in Israel's history, this would have been highly significant. You remember the book of Galatians talks about this in regards to the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary, that it was a cursed thing to hang on a tree. This is rooted in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 22. It says this, If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, uh, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is a curse of God. In other words, it was a sign that someone was accursed of God, was set aside of God, was disdained and despised of God. It was a great humiliation to be left hanging out in the open for the carrion and the wild beasts to have their part in. And day after day, month after month, she had to watch her children hanging there, being exposed to this humiliation and disgrace. I think one of the things that must break many a mother's heart is to look at the decisions and choices that their children make that very often are, are putting scars on them physically, mentally, emotionally, that that mother and that father know they will never be able to get rid of. But that child witlessly, thoughtlessly continues to rush in to these devastating choices in life. I'd say most adults would, would probably admit this tonight. Most of them would say, Preacher, there's sure enough things that embarrass me about the way I lived my life when I was young, and I always wanted to spare my children of those things. This woman had to watch as this disgraceful scene as men walked by and cast in her teeth what wicked doers her children must have been. Undoubtedly, where these children uh, were, were killed and were hung up, it was a public place the Gibeonites had taken and, and executed these children. So she's not in the land of Israel at this place. She's not in a place uh, where she, well, she's in the land of Israel, but she's not in a friendly environment, a friendly neighborhood. She's in a place where men would have walked by and scoffed and mocked at these men, called them evildoers, called them, as they said about Saul's house, a bloody house. They would have called them bloody men, wicked men, vile and vicious men. And all this her mother's heart is having to live with as she watches the disdain and the spite of people around her. Well, what's a mother to do in a situation like that? We said a word about how burdened a mother's heart is, but I want you to notice in our passage that Rizpah responds in a certain way. Verse number 10, 
The Bible says, And Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. I want to say a word about how bold a mother's heart is. She takes some unusual action here. You say, preacher, what did she do? Well, the Bible says that she spread out sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of contrition. Isn't it interesting? She ain't done nothing wrong, but her children have. And so she goes on their behalf and begins to pray and to ask God's pardon and to ask God's forgiveness. Man, if that ain't what a mother's heart looks like. And by the way, a father's too. You remember in the book of Job that Job made sacrifice for his children every day. He said, lest peradventure they have sinned and cursed God in their heart. So she comes and she says, I'm willing to pray for my children through all these long, weary days. Can I say this, that the answer to a burdened mother's heart is bold prayer to the Lord. The greatest thing you can do when your heart is broken for your kids is you can pray for them. Uh, listen, you, you can talk to them and that might help or it might make it worse. <laughs> you, you can try to fuss at them. Chances are they're not going to respond to that. Uh, or you can start talking to the Lord about them and see things change in their life. Now, I don't know everything Rizpah was praying for. I don't think she was praising, praying for her boys to be resurrected. I don't know the substance of her prayer, but I know that her spirit of prayer was to go to the Lord and to ask God to change something about this situation. Say, preacher, what is the greatest ministry that a mother has above and beyond everything? Listen, the greatest ministry a mother has is not homeschooling her children. The greatest ministry that a mother has is not giving them plenty of projects and things to do. The greatest ministry that a mother has is not even getting them up and getting them dressed and getting them to church. God bless you if you can do it. But that's not the greatest ministry. The greatest ministry that a mother has is not even loving their daddy in the love of the Lord and in a righteous way. You know what the greatest ministry a mother has is, is praying for her children. It's something that you are positioned and equipped to do in a unique proprietary way that no one else in the world is equipped to do. Nobody could pray for these kids the way their mama could. And so she goes and begins to pray. Notice three things. Notice, number one, the foundation of her prayer. There's two things that are a part of this process. The first is sackcloth, and I see the brokenness of her prayer. She is contrite before the Lord. Why is that? Well, because a broken and a contrite spirit the Lord will not despise. She knew, hey, listen, she could not break the chains that bound her children, but she could break the heart that beat within her. She couldn't force them to make choices. She couldn't change. Her children were dead, hanging up there, and she couldn't bring them back, but she could let her heart be broken over the situation. Listen, i got news for you. You can't make the decisions for your children, but you can break your heart praying for them. And you can let God have your heart and your spirit. She took sackcloth, an act of humility, an act of contrition, an act of repentance. I don't know if Rizpah felt any uh, any any uh, responsibility or culpability in the way that things turned out. I don't imagine that she did. In my opinion, she had no reason to. But she wanted to show that her brokenness, she was willing to break her heart in two if it could make some difference in the situation. You know why you can pray so well for your kids is nobody loves them like you do. That's why. It's more meaningful to you than it is to almost anybody else in the world. And so we see the basis, the brokenness of her prayer. Then notice the basis of it. She takes sackcloth and puts it upon a rock. That's interesting. To our knowledge, she stood vigil over these children. And if I was picking a place, I mean, I don't go camping very often, mainly because i got an air-conditioned house. Why would I? But if you go camping and you lay out a bedroll, typically you don't look for a rock. You look for a place with no rocks. But she lays this sackcloth out upon a rock. 
Surely that has to be significant, especially when we're reminded in the New Testament that uh, all throughout the Old Testament, the typology of the rock as it related to Israel always pointed towards Jesus Christ. So here's what she does. She takes this sackcloth, puts it on the rock, and says, I will pillow my head there, and I will pray for my children. Let me tell you something, it's not easy, mamas, but it's your ministry to be praying for your children. And you say, preacher, how can I, how can I do that? It's hard. They don't listen. I'm not seeing movement. I'm not seeing things change. Well, you have to have yourself on the right foundation. And the right foundation is the immutable, unchangeable promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't pray for Him because you're seeing things change. You're praying for Him because you know God has the ability to change things. The basis and foundation of it is not that they're making good decisions. You probably wouldn't be praying for them as much if they were. Uh, But because the Lord has power, He is limitless in His ability to work and to minister in their lives. In other words, it's not them you are trusting. It is God you are trusting. I remember years ago having a conversation with a uh, family and their their daughter was uh, head over heels over some boy that they were confirmed and convinced was not the will of God for them and, and for her and and they were telling me, preacher, our heart's so broken. We've tried to talk to her. We've tried to talk to her. And we can't get her to understand. And uh, now she's wanting to move to this place where this boy is and everything. And I told him finally, I looked at him and I said, listen, I'm not asking you to trust her judgment. I'm asking you to trust God's providence. It's not her that you have to learn to trust. She might be making good decisions or she might be making bad decisions. The question is not can you trust her with her decisions. It's can you trust God with her? Can you pray and say, now, Lord, I can't change this, but God, I can commit my child unto you, and I can trust that you love them even more than I do, and that you're working in their life. We see this woman, her basis of her prayer, she's based upon the rock. I see the foundation of it. Number two, I see the fierceness of her prayer. It's interesting. You would imagine, especially as the bodies began to decompose, it wouldn't be long before the carrion birds, before the uh, scavengers would begin to skulk out from the deserts and from the high places. And the Bible says that she drove away the birds of prey, the birds of the air uh, by day, and the beasts of the field by night. Every time she ran one off, another one landed. Every time she chased one off, another one showed up. I don't mean to overburden you, mamas, but you know that's a lot of what you're praying for your kids is going to look like. About, about the second you chase one scavenger off, another one's going to pop up and want an entrance into their life. But for day after day, week after week, month after month, this woman kept an honest, sincere, and diligent vigil over her children. Why did she do that? It didn't make them any, it didn't make them any less dead that she drove those beasts away. You wonder if maybe she had in her mind, there's going to come a day God's going to raise the body. And I want there to be as much of it there when the time comes. You know, very often when we protect, and we have laws in our society that protect corpses and, and how you deal with them and how you handle them, and it, it, it's, it's uh, criminal to do something that would defile a corpse or, or disgrace a corpse in any way. Why do we have that presence and sense of mind? It's rooted in the concept of the resurrection. Now listen carefully. God has the ability, whether someone's cremated, whether they're you know scattered to the seas, wherever they are, God can reconstitute the body. He has that power. He's not limited in any way. But we just have this sort of ingrained reverence for the idea of the corpse that's rooted in the idea of the resurrection. That there's something hallowed about it and we're laying it up in store against that day. Now here's Rizpah and she is chasing off all of the scavengers. Doesn't want them to to consume or to corrupt the corpse. Probably because she had in her mind there's going to come a day God's going to raise the body again. Now I want you to think about something, mamas, particularly those of us with young kids. 
Why do we work so hard to chase the scavengers of this world away? Because one of these days we're praying God's going to give that child new life. And when he does, we don't want their life to be scarred and tainted by the scavengers of this world. There are some things you can't make them unsee, you can't make them unhear, you can't make them unexperienced. You say, preacher, you're going to shelter your kids from as much as I can. I'm going to say it again. Preacher, you're going to shelter your kids from as much as I possibly can. You go ahead and expose yours. But I'm going to try to shelter mine. So, but preacher, how will they learn about the world? You know, funny thing about it, uh, that younger boy in Luke chapter number 15 had never left the father's house, but he still heard about the far country. You don't have to educate your children about the world. They're going to find out about the world. You need to try to keep the world away from as long as you can. And so here's her ministry. She's chasing these scavengers away. What a thankless ministry. There was no one there to applaud her. There was no one there to appreciate her. The very ones that she was doing it for lacked the ability to even appreciate what she was doing. But she kept doing it. Why? Because it mattered. There was coming a day God was going to raise that body, and it mattered to her. She knew what it would cost. She chased away the scavengers, and that's what your ministry of prayer will often be. And it'll be relentless sometimes. It'll feel like the the moment that you run this one off and turn your back, another one pops up. Dangers lurking everywhere. But listen, stay encouraged, mothers. You can make a difference if you keep ministering. And then I see the faith of her prayer. The Bible says she did this from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven. I don't know exactly how long that is, but it was a long time. Uh, Certainly many months, maybe even a year had passed during this time. But you know what I find? She never gave up. She just kept going. She laid out there under the stars and exposed to the elements for week after week and month after month, but she didn't quit because how could she quit? Those were her kids. How could she walk away from them? I'll tell you, this thing, and I don't, I don't know that anybody really understands it until they get into parenting, but you know, this thing of being a parent's a for life thing. Are you aware of that? Did you read the fine print? I did not. And, uh, turns out, when you have children, you just love them like they're your kids your whole life. And you always worry about them, and, and, and they get bigger, but you don't somehow get tougher. <laughs> you don't quit worrying about them, they're always your kids. It's a long haul. It's a marathon thing. Don't get discouraged. Hey, this life is long, but eternity's a lot longer. The time you're pouring into their life, it matters and it makes a difference. How can you tell she had faith, preacher, because she didn't quit? She just kept praying for him. She just kept staying there. She just kept chasing away the scavengers, hoping that something would change. I see how bold a mother's heart is. But then number three, I want you to look with me at how big a mother's heart is. Now stop and think about how equipped her heart was for what she was facing. It was big enough, number one, that it was not bound by trials. How difficult this must have been to... Week after week, lay out, exposed to the elements, on sackcloth as your mattress, a rock as your box springs, the sky above you as your ceiling, uh, exposed to the heat, the cold, the rain, the, the storms, all of this. I don't know about you, man, but it'd be hard to imagine a person could take that. Uh, but her mother's heart had equipped her for that long and arduous task. I find this, that Man, mamas are tough. They put up with things and they go through things and they experience things that are hard for the average person to imagine. The pain they experience in bearing children. I mean, I know a little bit what it's like. I've had head colds, but I, I, 
<laughs> Fred, go start the car. I'll meet you out there. Right? <laughs> the physical pain they go through. Man, but not just physical. The emotional, the spiritual pain they go through. Uh, I told you earlier, man, when you have kids, it's like painting in bold colors. And, and you know, you love things before. Man, now you love things in this deep, terrifying way that you didn't even think was possible. This little, fragile, tiny person who is so easy to be snuffed out of this world and your whole life is wrapped up in that child. This was Rizpah. Now she's going through this and she has steeled herself for the task. And month after month, she sits out there in the most difficult, uncomfortable, unpleasant of experiences. You know why? Because that's what it took to minister to her kids. I see it was not bound by trials. Number two, I see it was not bound by time. She didn't say, I'm going to love them and minister to them for a period of time. She said, I'm going to stay out here as long as it takes. From the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon Mount Heaven. Now, by the way, why does it say it that way? Well, because the reason they had no rain was because of the judgment of God. She's saying, I'm going to stay out here till the judgment of God is lifted. I'm going to stay for as long as it takes for their interaction with heaven to be different than what it is now. For God's wrath to be removed, for God's judgment to be lifted, I'll stay out here as long as it takes. She was not bound by time. And then I would say, number three, she's not bound by ties. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, there's anything interesting thing that happens here. And, I, and I, I'm proud and glad to get to touch on this. We don't talk about it very often on Mother's Day. But the Bible says in verse 8, the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, whom she bare unto Saul. Now, later on, we're told that she's the concubine of Saul. So her relationship is with Saul. And her two sons, Armani and Mephibosheth, are taken. And the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul. So you understand, these would have been grandchildren of Saul's that would have been taken. They're the sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai. Now, that's interesting because if you look elsewhere in your Bible, what you find is Michael is not married to Adriel, the Barzillai. Uh, the, instead, the Bible tells us that the oldest sister, Mered, was married to Adriel. So what happened here? What's the dynamic? Well, it appears this way. It appears that Mered at some point died, and her children were fostered by Michael, her sister, to be raised up in the home of David. And here's Rizpah. She has no connection to these children. I mean, they are distant blood relatives, but really it should not be her out here doing this for them. Where's Michael at? Their stepmother, their foster mother. And where is Adriel, their father? Evidently, these children were passed from their home to Michael's home. And we can study in the Word of God, we find out that Michael is uh, one of the more secular-minded, unbiblical, unscriptural characters and individuals and personalities in the house of Saul. You remember that Michael was the one who was engaged to be married unto David and uh, she despised David when he danced before the Lord and despised him when uh, he brought the ark home and God struck her barren. You'd think a woman like that would appreciate having these children in her home, but instead she seems like a cold, calculated, and distant ward uh, or a protector of these wards. In other words, she should have been there, but she didn't care. But here's Rizpah out there praying for these kids like she's praying for her own kids. You know why that is? Because she had a mother's heart. Whether those were her natural-born children or not, she still loved them because they didn't have nobody to love them the way that they needed to. I tell you, man, I praise God for 
my mother, my physical blood mother. But And I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. I also praise God for women that have a heart to mother and to nurture and to minister to those that might not be their blood children, but God's given them a heart for them. Uh, Rizpah's heart was too big just to be there loving on just those two children, those two boys. And so she opened her heart, even these children that were not her own, because they needed someone to love them. Well, I see how big a mother's heart is. And then finally, I want to say a word about this. I'll be done tonight. So preacher, it's been rough, man. We've been talking about tough stuff, how difficult, how hard it is, how awful it is to be a mother. Why would I ever want to have children after listening to you, preacher? Well, let me just notice before we close, there is a good end to this story. The boys are not resurrected, uh, but they are returned to her. And we find this. We find not only how burdened a mother's heart is, how bold a mother's heart is, how big a mother's heart is, but we also see how blessed a mother's heart is. Can I remind you that no less than the Holy Ghost of God took notice of Rizpah's efforts. God in heaven sat up and paid attention to what she was doing. Said, preacher, her children couldn't have been resurrected. It didn't make any difference. Well, I beg to differ. I would say this. It made all the difference in the world. It certainly made all the difference in the nation. It would not be an overstatement to say that Rizpah's efforts led to the deliverance of Israel. Because of what she did, David responded a certain way. And because David responded a certain way, God was entreated for the land. Undoubtedly, there were millions of lives that were saved because of what she did, though no one ever even understood or knew the investment she had made. I'd say that her life was a very blessed one, though it had its burdens. I noticed three things. Number one, I noticed it was blessed by the respect of the king. Verse 11 says it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. David got wind. He heard of this sacrifice that was made. Can I remind you, the first person that sits up and pays attention to a mother's heart and a mother's burden is the king of heaven. He notices. Hey, part of that, him being in touch with the feelings of our infirmities, uh, that applies to mamas too. To your broken heart, to your burdened heart, to what you're going through, heaven pays attention to the sacrifices and the efforts that you make. Boy, being a mama can be a thankless job sometimes. I know that uh, because not by personal experience, but I've seen it. And, uh, well, nobody's ever thanked me for being a mama. So, But because I've seen that to be the case. Uh, very often, they're, they're the easiest ones to jump on. They're the easiest ones to dismiss and to ignore. And uh, Though I think everybody hopefully has a fundamental love for the mother and, and respect for them, somehow that gets lost in all the familiarity of the family dynamics. But I find this, that uh, in the midst of all of this, though she was an overlooked... By the way, I didn't say this. You know what her name means, Rispa? This is romantic. This is glorious. You ready? It means pavement. How's that make you feel, Mama? She's just the floor that people walked over. That's how she felt. But heaven paid attention to what she did. The king sat up and took notice. Word got to him that this mama was out there with broken heart keeping watch over her, the bodies of her children. And he said, you know, that's a marvelous thing that she loved them boys so much. By the way, it could be said, and I'm not trying to do some kind of uh, topological jujitsu here, but isn't it an interesting thing that David's not out there? Those five sons were raised in his home, but he's not out there doing it. Could it be that it might have shamed David a little bit that Rizpah's out there doing it? And Michael, his wife, is not out there, and he's not out there. 
hey, he paid attention to what happened. I'd remind you that, that the Lord Jesus, he's honored and pleased and notices the sacrifice of mothers. But then notice number two, she's blessed by the respect of the king. But verse number 12 says this, because of this, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. Now remember, Saul has been for all practical intents and purposes a husband under Isbah. Verse 13 says, And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. The bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin and Zelah in the sepulcher of Kish's father, and they performed all that the king commanded. You know what happened? Here she is, shocked, disgraced, humiliated, and brokenhearted that her sons are hung like common criminals upon these trees for all the world to behold. And she for months watches this ugly, ghastly, heart-wrenching scene. But pretty soon the king got word of what she had done. He sent instruction that the bodies of those sons were to be took down and be returned to their mother and be given fit and proper burial. Now, she's dealing with physical death. But can I remind you that every mother ought to be praying over the spiritual death of her children. Why does she do that? She does that in hopes that one day the king's going to notice and going to send word and work in the heart and life of their children and that they'll have their sons return to them. Not dead as these were, but alive in new life and in salvation. You know what happened for her? It worked. Can I tell you this? Mama's praying works. It works. There's no telling how many folks in this room you're saved because your mama prayed for you. Prayed and asked God to work in your heart and in your mind. I see she was blessed the return of her sons, but then I see this, verse 10 says this, Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it upon her, her, for her upon the rock. And from the beginning of harvest, until when? Until the water dropped upon them out of heaven. What does it say in verse 14? The end of verse is after that. So here she is, she's praying. She's begging God. She's, she's contrite before the Lord. David hears of that. That smites his heart. And he sends for these sons to be took down and to be buried in a proper way. And after that, verse 14 says, after what? After David responded to Rizba. This is directly connected to the actions of Rizba. After that, God was entreated for the land. I see this. I see the respect from the king. I see the return of the sons. But I see the response of heaven. God blessed and honored the efforts of this mother. I'll, I'll tell you this, I'm of the firm and deep and abiding conviction that America would have slipped off into the pits of hell if it hadn't been for praying mamas. It's a lot of what keeps us from being in a lot worse shape than we're even in. I don't want to get into a big clit. Well, no, I do. Um, I'm praying that, that something happens with this Roe v. Wade thing. I, I've lost all confidence in politicians uh, in every way. My, the only, the only, uh, you know, uh, official that I have any confidence in is a king, and he ain't elected. He's anointed. All right. Um, so I have no confidence in politicians. But who knows? Maybe God in His mercy will allow these people to stumble upon a righteous decision. I don't know. I have no idea. But I wonder why it is the devil is so just absolutely rabid, foaming at the mouth, addicted to abortion. Could it be he fears praying mamas? And he doesn't want these women falling in love with these babies and having something better to live for than just going out and drinking and partying and clubbing. And he knows if their heart gets any bigger than the things that the world can fill, if they have a need deeper than, than what a paycheck can buy, if they're going to start looking somewhere else for answers and hope in life, 
And if they're going to start looking to the Lord. Hey, listen, hell fears praying mamas. You know why? Because heaven listens to praying mamas. Heaven responded to the actions and efforts of this woman. Well, it's not glamorous, but motherhood often isn't. Often it's difficult, it's arduous, but it's a blessed thing. And it's one of the greatest ministries in the realm of human access. That you could be used in that way. That's why the world hates motherhood so much. That's why society and culture in Hollywood do everything they can to denigrate it. Make women feel as though they're stupid and useless for wanting to be a mother. You know why? Because hell's scared of mothers. That's why. But you know, the Word of God puts great honor upon those that pour their life into their children and allow God to use them to minister to them. You say, preacher, what are you doing tonight? I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to say, I know it ain't easy sometimes. I know sometimes it breaks your heart in a million pieces. Some of you, I pray with you all the time for your kids and grandkids. We, we agree together all the time. You get prayer requests. I pray over them in that moment. And I pray with you about them. And I just want you to know, those don't go unnoticed. And I don't mean just by me, but I mean heaven's listening. God's sitting up and paying attention. Don't give up, just like Rizpah didn't give up. There came a day the bodies of her sons were given back to her. But oh, what a blessed thing it'll be as we pray and see the souls of our kids given back in eternal promise unto us to be able to enjoy them through all eternity. Let's bow together tonight. I want a musician to come to play. and I just want you to be able to take a few moments tonight and pray for your young'uns and thank the Lord for them and, and thank God for listening to mothers and, and thank God for your mother. I don't know exactly what you'd commit yourself to, maybe to pray for your children more, maybe to not give up, to not quit loving them and to not quit praying for them. But man, more than anything, this is an opportunity to not come with gratitude in our hearts and to thank God for mothers that loved us and prayed for us. You say, preacher, my mama didn't know the Lord, doesn't love the Lord, didn't pray for me. No, but somebody's mama probably did. And you ought to thank God for them as well. The altar's open. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.